Well, it's good to be back, folks. Thank you all so much for allowing me to be gone. We're dealing with not only Brandon's accident, but uh, uh, the passing of my father. So we're very, very grateful. In fact, you know, Brandon is here somewhere. Where is Brandon? Oh, there he is. He's sitting right there. There you are. And uh, doing very well. We just thank the Lord uh, that he is with us. Uh, very, very serious and critical accident. But if you want, at the end of the service, he'll be more than happy to show you his head and uh, and the... Uh, pizza slice that he has on his head, uh, which they will correct on January 23rd, I believe. They'll begin that process uh, of more surgeries, and he will continue to have a couple of more here and there. Uh, so continue to be in prayer for him. And uh, uh, again, we do thank you for uh, allowing us to be off to take care of those needs. However, he is still having to go three to four times a week for therapies uh, so continue to pray for him. With that said, uh, 2020 has been a really tough year, has it not? Meltdowns, shutdowns, government chaos, scandals, politicians acting like overlords and Sith lords from the dark side, trying to mandate lock out of churches and religious establishment, lawless, godless, Antifa members destroying and looting and taking over cities, those who are desiring to defund the police, those who protect us, and as a result, we're seeing massive increases in homicides, theft, rape, and other crimes. So far, this has been a very uplifting way to start a sermon, right? Yep. Well, I'm not finished, okay? Among Christians, there are developments among evangelical Christians and churches that are siding with progressives. And we are seeing uh, evangelicalism going in that direction. The woke church movement is expanding. And that which God calls abominations, churches are accepting. What's a person to think? What's a person to do? How's a person to act? Well, the Bible gives us... Tremendous instructions for this time that we are in. It gives us some counsel, especially as we walk through the next few days of political turmoil. So I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself today. You happen to be here, and uh, you get to listen to me preach to myself concerning what the Scripture has to say about how a Christian is supposed to react during these times to such events. Let me tell you the direction I'm going to go in the next few weeks, just to let you know. I'm going to suspend our teaching on Romans. And by the way, thank you for the men in this congregation that filled the pulpit for me while I was gone. You did an excellent job. Uh, hopefully you'll be preaching again. And uh, we'll expand on that uh, gift that God has given to you. But here's where I'm going today. We're going to look at Psalm 37. If you would turn to Psalm 37, we're going to do something for three weeks. I'm going to preach this morning on counsel for Christians for the new year. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the way and the woe of the wicked. We're going to look at that as it speaks to us from Psalm 37. We're going to conclude that three weeks with the reward of the righteous. 
Now, afterwards, after that, I'm going to begin a series of teachings from Matthew 24. And we're going to begin to examine the second coming of Christ. Okay? We're going to look at these events. I will probably call it something like second coming madness or whatever we may want to call it because I have challenged you and your beliefs of what you believe about salvation since I've been a pastor here concerning election and the doctrine of election and those kind of things. I've challenged some of you in that kind of teaching and getting you to think perhaps in different ways. Well, I'm going to challenge you in those coming weeks. I really want to challenge you to the traditional teaching that 99% of you hold. I'm pretty sure that 99% of you hold that there will be a rapture, that there will be a great tribulation, the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and all that comes with that particular teaching. Because I don't hold to that. I'll just tell you up front, I don't hold to that. I used to. I used to hold to that wholeheartedly. But now I do not as seeing it from a different perspective. So I want you to know that up front that that's where we're going to go. And hopefully I'm going to challenge your thinking as we go through not only Matthew 24, but look at certain sections of the book of Revelation. And what it means in its historical and cultural context, not what we think blood moons have to say to us. So we're going to look at that and see that from that particular aspect. Now, this is going to give you particularly the opportunity to apply some of what I'll say today because when you get into eschatology, people will separate themselves from other people who hold differing views. And really, folks, eschatology or the study of last things is a secondary issue. It's a secondary issue to primary beliefs that we should all hold, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he is our substitute, our propitiation, and that all who cast themselves on the mercy and the grace of God will be saved. Those are primary issues. Differences of opinion of eschatology are to be debated, but not necessarily should we divide over those kind of things. So I'm going to give you a different look than what you probably believe, because I took a hard look when I was confronted with that same kind of thing and began to see, wait a minute, maybe what I believe is not exactly what the Scripture teaches. So I'm going to just challenge you with that. That's coming up. So tell all your friends and your family to come hear the heretic and, uh, you know, that uh, is not believing in the rapture and see what he has to say. Okay, so I I want you to do that. But today I want you to look at Psalm 37. Let's begin reading today. I'm going to go through this whole thing and then come back and only concentrate on eight verses. Listen to what it says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, it will be no more. Though they look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrowed but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous. And gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man established are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hands. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. And you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Let me give you a background of this psalm just really quickly so you know why in the world did David write this psalm. It is a wisdom psalm, first of all. It teaches a worldview that sits in direct contrast, polar opposites of life and death, wisdom, folly, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, blessing and destruction. It's that worldview that we as Christians must embrace. Now, what is a worldview? It's a set of beliefs about life that determines how we live. A biblical worldview is that assumptions, those values that we have based upon what we believe the Bible teaches, thereby 
determining how we then live. And so what this passage is telling us is that we're looking at a worldview that's totally different from the world that is out there. John tells us not to love the world. What world? The system that we are in right now. This is a different worldview that we have, something that pertains to Scripture, and that is our life. So the psalm is now addressing a specific spiritual problem. It is giving us counsel in a situation where faith is difficult to keep. That was what was going on as David wrote this psalm. Why? All around Israel at this time, war was raging. If you do a little history study, and you have to learn that when you read the scriptures, you need to find the historical, cultural context of what is going on so that you can understand it better. Here, the Assyrians to the north of uh, Israel had been fighting with the Arameans for the control of Syria at this time. And under an emperor by the name of Tiglar Pilasar, they had made their way into Phoenicia to control it. Phoenicia ran the length of the Mediterranean Sea, right beside the land of Israel. So you had some in the north that were warring, some in the west that were warring together. In Babylon to the east, they were having a time of turmoil with seven kings representing three different dynasties fighting each other and they came and they went as one overthrew the other. The Philistines now down to the southwest of Israel at this time formed a five-city coalition and they began to control all the entities and resources that were much needed in Israel, much like the Assyrians were controlling things along the Mediterranean because in Phoenicia they were known for having all the cedars of Lebanon and having some copper. And up in Assyria they had copper mines. And over in Babylon, that area over now which we call Iraq and those places, they were having re- had resources that we did not, or Israel did not have. Now, in Turkey... In the biblical times, it was called Anatolia. There, the Neo-Hittite kingdoms were competing to recover lost glory from the Assyrian attacks. So why was that important? Here's the reason being is because major trade routes came out of Turkey, out of those areas that flowed down into the Middle East and even into Israel. So whoever controlled the trade routes controlled the commerce that was impor- that's important to know. We, we think trade wars are a new thing that we're experiencing between China and the United States. No, no, no. There's nothing new under the sun. Countries were vying for trade routes and having trade wars since the beginning of time. In fact, when you read the book of Solomon, where, where did he get the cedars of Lebanon? They came over from Phoenicia and the entire region. And so... When these things were happening, though, when good trade was happening and going on, guess who was suffering some of the consequences of these wars? It was Israel. And the reason being is because some of these resources from some of these people and some of these countries were being tied up, and they couldn't get it, and they were prospering. 
They were trading with each other and going all around Israel and they were having to make pacts. Israel was, King David was, King Solomon was with Hiram. You remember Hiram? That's where he got the cedars from Lebanon. They were having to do trade pacts and everything else. But in the midst of all this stuff, understand that the Jewish people believed that these were Gentiles, believed that they were pagan believed that they served other gods, which they did. Each kingdom came in and set up their own gods and worshiped their own gods and did not worship the one true God, yet they were prospering better than Israel. They were having all these resources. Basically, King David heard the rumblings of his advisors and of his people saying, if, if we are the people of God, why are the wicked prospering? Why don't we have the riches? Why don't we have the wealth and the resources that other have? Why are all these people trying to destroy us? So the issue was one of faith. It was one of faith. People were questioning, where is God in all of this? And so King David giving divine wisdom. He hears and speaks and gives forth his counsel, a counsel that we need today. Listen to what he says, verse one. Now, keep in mind, all that historical context coming in and understanding it, he's hearing his advisors, he's hearing his people, and he is saying, do not fret yourselves because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, I have heard sermons preached on this very passage where it talks about don't worry. Don't be a worrier. Don't fret. Because if you think in the English word, when you talk about fretting, if somebody is really fretting, you're thinking that they are anxious, that they are worrisome, that they are just beside themselves because they don't know what to do. That is the wrong translation of the Hebrew word for fret. Here's what it is. It's a term, a verb that means do not get incensed to the point of boiling. Think about that. Do not get incensed. Do not get angry in other words, at those that you see are evil doers. He says that in that opening passage in verse 1. He repeats it again in verse 7 and in verse 8. And when you look at verse 1, it's also found and quoted in Proverbs 24, 19, the same words, do not fret yourselves. Don't get overheated. So here's a principle that we we have and the counsel that David gives us is this. This is the first thing. Do not live in anger of what you see and hear and don't be desiring what they have. Here's a principle to live by. Do not live in anger of what you see and hear. Now, why am I bringing this up? Today, think about it, dear folks. Is our country in turmoil? You, you better believe it is. You better believe it is. It is in turmoil. And when you hear and when you see and understand some of the things that are going on, and especially some of the things that happened during the election, 
Everybody has their opinions about that, but what you see is anger, constantly anger and anger and anger. And it's even among Christians, it's even among myself. I hear things and I read things to the point to where I I got so incensed that finally I just gave up my Facebook page. I said, I can't read it anymore. I cannot do it. Not because I was just so mad at it. I was just so, I was getting so angry within myself that I'm getting angry. I was saying, that's not the response of a Christian. A Christian is supposed to put off anger. So, The counsel that he's given to us is do not live in anger. Biblical counselor Joel James cites seven destructive results of living in anger. You did hear that joke about anger, didn't you? No? It's been all the rage. (laughs) Y'all glad to have me back, right? Yeah, so you're going to be sorry. Anyway, so here's some destructive results of anger. There is going to be constant conflict if you're a person of anger. Constant conflict. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Now, I want you to understand something about stirring. This is not something that you start. This is something that you stir. I've all stirred pancake batter, right? You just have to sit there and you stir it and you stir it and you stir it and you stir it to get all the lumps out of it. In the same way, an angry man doesn't just start something, he continually stirs things up. So when someone has a problem with anger or allows that anger to come out, he's basically just stirring the pot. I remember my uncle, who was a diehard conservative, sitting at the table of my father, who was also a diehard conservative, with his two sisters, who were two liberal Democrats. And everything was going wonderfully around the table, talking about family, talking about memories, talking about other things. And then it got quiet. And then my uncle crossed his arms and said, you know what the problem with this country is? You dad burned liberal Democrats. And then it started. What did he do? Stirred it. Everything was going. So understand that anger will result in constant conflict. It also will cause considerably foolish behavior. Listen to Proverbs 14, 7. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Over his spirit. Folks, I got a call one day from a church member a long time ago in another church that said, me and my wife are having problems. And so we brought them in and we were talking to them and she had a problem with anger, admitted it. But here's how this caused foolish, this foolish behavior caused destruction. She got so mad at him that one day that he was on his, he got on his computer after an argument and said, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I have work to do. So she just went over and grabbed the computer, brand new $2,000 computer, picked it up overhead and slammed it to the floor and broke all to pieces. And I said to her, what did that get you? She said, satisfaction. I said, no, it just cost you $2,000. Foolish behavior. Foolish behavior just because you were angry. That's what it'll do. 
It also causes broken relationships. Proverbs 18 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. It causes continual anger. Now listen to this, please. Proverbs 19.19 says this, A man of great anger will bear the penalty. For if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. This is good truth for parents. This is good truth for your relationships and everything else. We are wonderful at rescuing people from their anger. Sadly, people blow up. People get angry. We go, no, 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 no. Let me appease you in every way I can. No, 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 no. You don't need to be angry. You don't need to do this. And what do we do? Everything softens for a while, but you just rescued him. And guess what? You never dealt with the anger because the anger is going to come back because it says a man of great wrath needs to bear the penalty. Don't rescue a person that is totally angry all the time because anger produces anger. James 1 tells us that the anger of man never produces the righteousness of God. It produces more anger. And anger is habit Forming for the person who expresses it frequently. It just becomes a habit. The more you get angry, guess what? The more you get angry. And then the more you rationalize your anger. Now understand this. Some people think that only if you express anger at people, it's a sin. You can break computers. You can kick your dog, your cat, whatever. That's not sin. No, that is wrong. Okay? Anger at inanimate objects is can be sinful because you're thinking bad things about that inanimate object. Understand this, folks. Please understand this. When we look at an emotion like anger, we have to understand those things are God-given. Our emotions are God-given. It's what we do with those emotions that become sin. And I know that there's a lot of people who say, well, I get angry because it's a righteous anger. Probably not. Be honest. Probably not. When we look at the scriptures and we see all the scriptures, 500, over 500 references of anger, 95% of them are about sinful anger, how we use the anger, what we do with the anger. And those are the things that we have to understand is that this anger needs to be cut off. In fact, if you look at Galatians, one of the fruits of the flesh is anger. It says it. Paul tells us in Colossians and in Ephesians, put off anger. Don't manage it. We've gotten in this thing in Christian life that I just need to learn a few skills how to manage my anger. Paul says, kill it. Cut it off. Put it off. And that can be done through the Spirit of God. Understand, anger produces anger in other people as well because it tempts them to respond angrily to your anger. That's why Proverbs, so wise, verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but it also fuels other sins. Proverbs 29, 22, a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. Anger is never lonely. <laughs> it's never lonely. It abounds in transgressions. It gives also provision for satanic 
opportunity. Listen to this verse, please. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you see a platform here? We get angry, sinful anger. It's going to give Satan an opportunity to divide. And folks, understand this. It divides churches, it divides families, it divides other relationships. That, according to this biblical counselor, is Satan's playground. So we need to understand that, that anger also is divine dishonor. You've got to forsake anger. You don't just escape painful consequences of it, you kill it. John Owen, the great Puritan, says, be killing sin or it will kill you. We are to kill it, put it to death, understand it, recognize it, repent of it, and walk away from it. So what we have in this counsel for us today is like, don't get yourself to the point of boiling over because of evildoers. We're going to see a lot of evil, I believe, in the next few days. We're going to see a lot of evil in the next few months. And when I speak of evil, we're not talking about people who are going out and murdering and this and that, whatever. Anything that is contrary to the word of God is evil. That's what the scripture says. We're going to see a lot of that. So take heed this counsel. Don't let it overflow. Don't be incensed. Second thing is this. Take the long view approach. Take the long view approach. Notice verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. That's what it says. Look at verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. So what is the result? They're going to be gone. When will they fade away? In a little while. When is a little while? In God's time. In God's time, not our time. John echoes the same thing, 1 John 2, 16 through 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This long approach, dear friends, is basically stating that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is working His purposes out through history. And as we come to the conclusion, if we do come to the conclusion of the mess that we are in concerning the next president, remember these words, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he, referencing God, turns it wherever he wishes. Who has control of any king, any president, any ruler? It is God. Now, let me say this real quickly. Because some of you might think this. Well, preacher, are we not to be angry with some injustices? Are we not to fight? Are we not to stand up? Not to be angry at sin? No, I'm not saying that. I am saying this. If you are going to enter a scuffle based upon what you believe to be true to the word of God, make sure your responses are correct. 
Make sure that you're fighting your response. You're fighting those unbiblical values with biblical values, but also maintaining a walk in the spirit. In fact, Paul tells us in the same verse that he says, be angry and do not sin. Is there an appropriate righteous anger at sin? Absolutely. But your response to it is of so much importance. It's the uttermost important that we walk according to biblical values and biblical teaching and walk according to the Spirit. You can speak the truth in love while standing for your position, while fighting for biblical values. For example, you take the issue of abortion. The Bible says That is murder, plain and simple, okay? But we don't sit around and should not sit around when we hear somebody having abortion or walking into abortion clinic and we're standing out there, shout and scream and holler and tell them how wicked they are. That doesn't do anything. What does, though, is to speak the truth in love, to be able to say, to a young lady that may be walking up into the, and you have the opportunity to stand out in front of there and say, sweetheart, can we talk just a little bit? Can we just, can we have a conversation? Can we deal with what's about to happen and where you're going and the decision you're about to make just in love because I care for you? Do You see, there's a big difference between hollering and screaming and speaking the truth in love. So we stand our ground, we stand and fight, we do what we need to do according to those biblical values, and sometimes that calls for civil disobedience because we have to obey God rather than man, but how we do it is of utmost importance. But we always remember to take the long view approach. God is still in control. Here's the third thing. Refocus your attention away from those who are angry you are angry with or envious of. Verse 3. Look at verse 3 just real quickly. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Here's what he is saying. Understand this. There's five different things he's telling us to get our eyes off of people, off of circumstances, back on the Lord. That's what we have to do. Refocus your attention away from those things. That's a tough task, but it can be done. Five things he asks us to do. He asks us to trust, to feed on faithfulness, to delight. Verse four or five, he says, commit. And then again, in verse seven, he says, be still. Now, what do those words mean? Just real quickly. The word translated trust in the Bible literally means a bold, confident security or action based on that security. It's not the same as faith. Trusting is what we do because of the faith we've been given. That's what it means. It's believing the promises of God. That's what he says do. Trust in the Lord, dwell in the land. Now let's look at that word. Feed on faithfulness. What does that mean? It goes together. Dwell in the land and it says befriend faithfulness. It actually states Feed on faithfulness or find safe pasture. Find safe pasture. So to be faithful is to be reliable, steadfast, and unwavering. So if he's telling us to stay where we are, in the land where we are, and feed on faithfulness, is it our faithfulness that we feed on? No, it's the faithfulness of God because he's the one that provided the pasture. He, so they're saying, dwell Here, feed on the faithfulness of God. 
because he is faithful. We're taking our attention and we refocus it. He also says delight. Taking delight means that our hearts find peace and fulfillment in God. And you know, peace is the opposite of anger. And notice what Philippians 4 says. Be anxious for nothing. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, know, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The next word is commit. Do you know that word commit means to roll? It means to roll, as if getting rid of a burden. You know, the song we sing, the hymn we sing. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart, what? Rolled away. That's what he's saying. Commit, what? Commit your way. Roll your burdens to the Lord. That's what it means. And then be still. I want you to listen to what this says. This is really good. Be still means to be silent. Be silent. Right? But it takes on a different meaning in the Hebrew. It basically means resigning oneself to the will of God. Resign. Now let's put that in there. Resign yourself before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. In a sense, it's saying, have a quiet mind that renounces all self-help and rest on God. All right. Last thing is this. I'll do it real quickly. Respond biblically by doing good. Listen, go back to verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do what? Good. Who do we do good to? Enemies. Enemies, listen to this very carefully. It's the words of our Savior, please. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And here Jesus is pulling out this psalm. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other. For, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and with, from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend from those who, whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. And again, Paul in Romans 12 says, do not overcome e uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you see, we're to respond biblically by doing good. Counsel for upcoming days, folks, understand. Don't live in the anger of what you see don't respond angrily 
Don't be desiring what the wicked have and you don't have. Take that long approach that God is sovereign. He is going to take care of us. Refocus your attention away from all this stuff. Put it on God. Respond biblically. Do good. Do good. You get the opportunity to put that in practice, especially on January 6th. You get to put that in practice. So I will pray for you. You pray for me. As I make sure that I respond and be an example that I need to be to others and not respond like I normally do, which is fleshly. So pray for me as I will pray for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. And I ask, Lord, that you would drive a stake down in our hearts according to this teaching. That we would respond accordingly and graciously, mercifully. Lord, that we would not gloat. Or, Lord, that we would not despise. But, Father, I pray that we would respond in love and speak the truth in love. Understand that we, understanding that we have evil all around us and that we have the remedy, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, help us to be quick to hear. Lord, Lord, I pray that we'd be slow to anger. And Lord, constantly, oh Lord, seek to share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who are without. Help us to understand, Lord, they're acting according to their nature. And Father, we pray for changed natures, that you would open the hearts of many as we speak the gospel to them and speak about the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you protect us during the time that we're away from each other. Lord, bring us back together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.